that hymn, Holy, 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 is one of my all-time favorite hymns. And I, I often uh, find myself sometimes struggling to sing it because I feel very unholy. Uh, but the song itself is a prayer that we offer through Christ. Uh, and in that way, we can sing joyfully because we are unholy. But through Christ, we can sing sin-ridden prayers in song to our Father. I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs. Today we'll be in Proverbs chapter 4. And I want to say too, I, I really appreciate everyone, you know, how, how you wear a mask through the service. I know it's, we're, we're pretty, I'd say we're pretty used to it by now, but I'm very thankful uh, for everyone uh, participating. But yes, Proverbs chapter 4. Um, I'm a pretty adventurous guy. I, I don't go on a lot of adventures, but I want to. I'd love to take a lot more adventures, go on more trips, and, and do this kind of thing. And one thing I've never done before that I would love to do is go rock climbing or mountain climbing, uh, both. You know, I'd love to do that kind of thing. And uh, Sorry, I, I, that was the one I just kicked. Okay, I'll try not to do that. Uh, but this, just this week, I watched a video about climbing Mount Everest, and uh, I showed parts of it to Malin, and she was like, who would want to do that? And, and like, I didn't like openly confess or anything, but honestly, it sounds like kind of fun to me. You know, like, uh, you know. But have you all ever heard of the bodies on Mount Everest? Hundreds of people through the years have died trying to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And once you reach a certain level of the mountain, once you die there, you stay. They, they like, yeah, like, they, you, they can't get you. You know, you're on this team and you're hiking up Mount Everest and the person in front of you dies. You keep going. You, you can't stop. You can't pick them up. You can't t- take them down because you'll die too. And aircraft can't even come and get you. That, and, cause that's how harsh the, the altitude is. And the thing, but the thing is too is they actually become like signposts or, or landmarks. <laughs> Sounds funny. Uh, it's like, they become like these landmarks because they don't decompose because of the pressure in the atmosphere. It's so cold, the air is so thin that they just don't decompose and bodies from like a hundred years ago are still intact. Uh, actually, what you should do is you should go home and research green boots and read about green boots. Green boots is a hiker that's been there since 1996. He's dead. Nobody knows who he is, but he... but. Um, they know they call him green boots because he's wearing green climbing boots. That's why they call him green boots. And they serve as these landmarks, right, to help you get up the mountain. And the thing about Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest, is it takes months of like intense preparation and planning. I mean, it costs like thousands of dollars to climb it. You're on this like crazy long waiting list and you have to do all this like crazy conditioning and training, all this kinds of stuff. And and so you do all this to maybe enjoy the benefit of getting to the top. And even if you make it to the top, you can't take the summit with you. right? You're there for a limited amount of time, and then you descend and the moment's over. For three weeks now, we've talked a lot about wisdom. Rightly so, because we're in Proverbs. 
And we've talked a lot specifically about the benefits of wisdom. And I think there's a reason for that. We've talked a lot, a lot, a lot about the benefits of reason. And, and I think the reason is, is because Proverbs relies heavily on the benefits of wisdom to show that there's no maybe about it. There's no like, maybe you'll reach the top. There's no maybe about the benefits of wisdom. And it's not short-lived, right? The benefits of wisdom are not only uh, grand and magnificent, but they last a lifetime. The benefits are overwhelming to show how much it's worth pursuing wisdom and to show how readily the benefits are. I, I would wager that 100% of us in this room will never climb Mount Everest, but 100% of us in this room have the opportunity to pursue wisdom and to reap its benefits. There's not one of us in this room that that opportunity is closed off to. They're available to anyone who will seek after them. But really the question that we've gotten somewhat close to, but that we haven't really answered is how? How do we get wisdom? How do we live by wisdom? I want these benefits. This is great, but what am I supposed to do? And that's what I think that this chapter answers. How? So, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 4 to find the answer to that question. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Unfortunately, I don't have the verses on the screen, but you can listen or follow along in your Bibles or on your phones. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. 
Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. When I think of climbing Mount Everest, I think that the effort is worth it. I might be crazy, but I think it would be cool. Mallory, on the other hand, right, does not see it as worth the effort. So she's going to go along with her day and not worry about it. And I'll keep reading about dead bodies. But what this illustrates is an important point. You're not going to pursue something unless you prize it. So the first step in pursuing wisdom is simply to prize wisdom. Prize wisdom. And we prize wisdom, first of all, by realizing wisdom's disposition. Look at, look at verse 1. Hear, O son, sons, a father's instruction. Wisdom has the disposition of a father. This week, I have been thinking about high school. And any story that starts off this way, you know by the end of it, you'll probably think less of me. Anyway, uh, when I was 17 and a senior in high school, I wanted to date this girl who was a freshman. Uh, And of course, her parents were totally against it. Um, and they, 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 they forbade it, right? Uh, and they, they didn't want their daughter dating, you know, this, you know, older guy or whatever. Uh, and they tried to forbid it, but eventually they gave in. And I couldn't understand what the problem was. I was a Christian guy. You know, it's not going to be a big deal. <sighs> well, eventually I broke up with her and giving me the distinct honor of being the very first guy to break her heart. And you know who was left with that mess? Her parents. Her parents were the ones who were left with this weeping girl. And now as a parent to a daughter, there's no way I'm letting her date a 17 or 18 year old when she's that young. No, sir. But what I had no way of understanding then and what Willa won't understand for a long time is that I am, I am so primarily concerned with her happiness and her heart. And I know 17, 18-year-old boys are bad for both. That's just a joke. Maybe. I, didn't, I did, certainly would not trust myself as an 18-year-old. That's me. That's wisdom's disposition. It's a, it's a disposition of care, concern, and, and love and protection. Look, look at verse 1 again. Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, instruction, and, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you what? Good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Wisdom, wisdom goes hand in hand with obeying God's commands. And obeying God's commands doesn't take away from life. God's commands breathe life. God's commands are, are for our good and for our flourishing. 
And, and wisdom's disposition is intimately personal. Look at, look at verse 3. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and, and live. If you know the story of David, then you'll know that Solomon wasn't the only child. In fact, he wasn't even the first child. And so, what Solomon is describing is his father's personal, intimate care for him. Right? It's as if he's care for his son. He's the only one in the room. And that's wisdom's disposition toward you. Yes, you are one among a number of Christians. And yes, we need other Christians. But wisdom, the disposition of wisdom, the father giving you wisdom, is one if I'm teaching you. As if you're the only one. It's intimate and it's personal. So the way that we prize wisdom is by realizing wisdom's disposition. But we also prize wisdom by trusting wisdom's promises. Look at verse 5. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The most distinguishing mark of a king is his crown. And humans were made, were created to rule. Our mandate is to rule over creation justly as kings and queens. But if you go to a restaurant and the wait line is two hours and you try to skip the wait line by trying to pretend you're Tom Brady. It's not going to work unless you have the distinguishing marks of Tom Brady. In the same way, you can't be truly human unless you have the distinguishing mark of having wisdom's crown. That's what it means to be human. It means to wear a crown. And that means, what does that mean? Trusting in wisdom's promises. Church, the battle with sin is a battle of believing. It's a battle of trusting. Sin promises life through disobedience. God promises life through obedience. It's a battle of unbelief. When we sin, if we choose sin, we are choosing to reject and disbelieve God's promises. The way to fight sin and resist sin is what? To trust in God's promises. And the more we prize them, the more we will trust them. So get wisdom by prizing wisdom. The second step in pursuing wisdom is to walk soberly. In verse 10, Solomon writes, Hear, my son, and accept my words. 
that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of, of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Guard her, for she is your life. Wisdom is concerned with walking soberly. Walking in obedience and obeying for the right reasons. Growing, learning. When you're malnourished, right, your growth is stunted. And the foolish are those who are deliberately malnourished. It's not good to be the same person as you were a year, five, ten years ago. When we're talking about godliness. Wisdom means we're walking and we're growing. We're changing. Proverbs 9.9 says, Instruct a wise man and he will still be wiser. So, we walk soberly. How? How do we walk soberly? By accepting instruction. That sounds nice until someone tries to instruct you. I'm convinced that I am a good driver. Better than all of you, I can tell you that. And it drives me crazy when Mallory tries to instruct my driving. I don't need instruction. I know what I'm doing. So one of my most humbling experiences when we had this great debate over whether you pump the gas or keep the gas steady to maintain your speed. I'm a pumper. She's steady. And we conducted a poll among our friends, and we did our research, and guess what the best way to do it is? Steady. I don't think I talked to Mal for a while. Accepting instruction is hard, and it's hard because we're proud. We are so proud. We love to make excuses. We love to shift the blame on other people. We love to justify ourselves. But Proverbs 10, Proverbs 10, verse 8 says, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. The wise absorb instruction and commands, but a fool talks his way endlessly and argues endlessly to, accept, to resist accepting instruction. And we're all fools in some way. Proverbs 17.10 says that a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows to a fool. So the wise, what we learn about the wise, is they accept instruction even if it's unfair. Even if it seems unfair, right? Whether this wise man needs to be rebuked or not, it goes deep into his understanding. That's why, that's why we learn from criticism, even if, it, if the criticism is harsh or unfair. Because we know, we know that some element of that criticism is probably true. So walking soberly means being able to accept instruction, all kinds of instruction, taking commands, rebukes, challenges, 
uh, all of these things and, and using them for our benefit. They say a, a, a student, a good student, is a student who is one for the rest of their lives. So a good doctor is a learning doctor. You don't want a doctor who's stuck in 1980. So a wise person is a learning person. But walking soberly also means thinking critically. Look at, look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Being able to avoid the path of evil means that you're aware of it. Right? But that's exactly how we end up on the path of evil, we aren't aware that it's there in the first place. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. If you aren't actively giving thought to your ways, what you are believing, what you are listening to, and saying and thinking, then you can be sure you are deceived in some way. And that's the problem with verses 16 and 19. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until a full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Friday nights are my only nights of the week to stay up late. And if I, I, if I could stay up late every night, I would. So when Friday night comes around, I stay up late. My eyes will be blood red by the time I go to sleep. And sometimes that means I end up falling asleep on the couch. Sometimes I wake up not remembering falling asleep on the couch. How did I get here? I just fall asleep. Folly gets to where they're going with no recollection of how they got there. They think they're just on the right path. Listen, false prophets don't think of themselves as false prophets. Kenneth Copeland doesn't see himself as a heretical teacher. And fools don't think of themselves as fools. You can believe something sincerely but you can be sincerely wrong. So walk soberly, church, by thinking critically. Assessing and asking and evaluating and learning and accepting. Thinking critically about the paths that you walk. The last step to pursuing wisdom is to guard your heart. Look at Verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, For from it flow the springs of life. The heart in, in Scripture is the innermost being of a person. Right, It's the, the, the center of your desires and your thoughts and the place where you make decisions. 
So, so out of it flow the springs of life. It's the source of the body's activities, especially the spiritual and mental activities. So if your heart determines what flows out, then what goes in must be of great care. The Mississippi River starts in Minnesota. And if you go to the Mississippi River in Minnesota, it's a little creek and it's clear as crystal. It's a little purification and you can drink out of it. But if you've ever been to New Orleans and you've seen the Mississippi River there, you don't even want to look at it. It's not pretty. I feel bad for the fish that live in the Mississippi River. What has gone in it on its journey completely changes it, changes it by the time it reaches its destination. So, to guard your heart means to watch your influences. Watch how you're influenced. What are you influenced by? How are you influenced by social media? How are you influenced by YouTube videos? Or politics? How are you influenced by family? by friends? Do do riches and and comfort and ease hold sway over you? Just this week, I I had a friend that I've known for a few years. Uh, He wrote this big, long post uh, uh, about how he's leaving organized religion. He, He still believes in Jesus, but from where I sit, it's an awfully truncated Jesus. It's it's not the Jesus of Scripture. It was heavy for me to read it. And, and the thing about my friend is that he's a thoughtful guy. He's smart. He, he thinks deeply about things. But his, his fatal flaw was that he didn't watch his influences. In his journey to learn more, he didn't think carefully enough about what he was reading and learning was affecting his heart. It's a good thing to pay careful attention to people's arguments, but it is even more important to pay attention to what's happening here. So watch not only what influences you, but how it influences you. And as Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If something is leading your heart astray, you cut it off, And you throw it away. Watch your heart. And how your heart is influenced. So guarding your heart means to watch your influences. But it also means to live genuinely. Look at at verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let's pause here for a moment. Remember what Jesus said about words in the heart? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words say a lot about who you are. The words you use and how you use them are like a mirror into your heart. So let's Keep reading verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight ahead before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. 
Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The idea in these verses is to avoid being a double person. Right? A a double person is someone who's unstable. So, right, one minute you're reading your Bible, but the next you're looking at pornography. One minute you're, you're angry at all the lies you might see on Facebook or social media, and the next you're gossiping or slandering someone. One minute you're a godly guy at church, and the next you're an abusive husband at home. Our dog Finn is a really sweet dog. He really is. But depending on if he has food, he is completely different. The double person lives and responds disproportionately depending on different instances in life. The double person looks every which way to find purpose or meaning or satisfaction. This is is exactly Jesus' meaning in the Sermon on on the Mount. Remember, we talked a lot about this wholesome righteousness or righteousness, righteous actions that spring naturally from who you are so that what? You are the same person in public as you are in private. The same person at church as you are at home. The same person around your family as you are alone. A wholesome righteousness. And Paul warns of this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, let us no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So to pursue wisdom is to guard your heart, and to guard your heart means to live genuinely. To live with integrity and consistency. You don't make excuses for sin or Um, mistakes. You don't blame other people. You accept criticism. And very importantly, you accept consequences. You keep your word even when it hurts. You say, I'm sorry, and you mean it because you actually practice repentance. You tell your wife you love her and you continue to love her by fighting lust and pornography. This is how you guard your heart to be a wholesome, genuine, consistent person. But this is exactly the problem, isn't it? Because of sin, our lives are all fractured. Our lives are fractured with God and our our worship and our religion is all out of sync. All our religious practices are, are riddled with pride and sin and idolatry. If we even worship, try to worship God, we still have idols in our hearts. Our lives are fractured with each other and, and we attack and we snarl and devour and bite and we, we pay back and we always blame others. Our lives are fractured internally when we have this gaping hole in our hearts that we try to fill with sin or chasing pleasure or numbing our pain or going after one thing to another. And we're unsteady and unstable. But Jesus has come to make our lives whole. He has come to heal the profound disintegration that's happening here. Jesus 
makes our, our worship whole. So that, yeah, we have sin and idols in our heart, but we cry out to God through grace in Christ. Jesus, He makes our relationships whole so that, that we aren't afraid of losing an argument. We aren't afraid of being humble and admitting we're wrong. Jesus, He makes our, our hearts whole so that we, we prize what He prizes. We cherish what He cherishes. We pursue what, what He pursues. We seek wisdom to be whole and we look for it in Jesus who not only makes us whole, but He shows us what it means to be whole. If you want to know what it looks like to be an integrated whole person, look at Jesus. Because no one speaks the way Jesus speaks. No one is tender the way Jesus is tender. No one shows compassion or grace the way Jesus shows compassion or grace. No one treats someone as humanly as Jesus treats other humans. No one is devout in their worship. And so at the end of the day, none of us can prize wisdom because we prize sin. At the end of the day, none of us can walk soberly because we're completely blind. And at the end of the day, none of us can guard our hearts because we need new hearts. And the answer is to trust in Christ's finished work for you. And this is yours. These steps, this path, these benefits are yours when you repent and trust in Christ's finished work for you. The three words that we rest in today are it is finished. You are a fool, but it is finished. You are wicked, but it is finished. You deserve God's judgment, but it is finished. It is finished. So let's walk this path of wisdom. Church, let's, let's prize wisdom. Let's walk soberly. Let's, let's guard our hearts all under the umbrella that Christ's work is finished for me, for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is no one like You. And there's no one like You because not only do You give us commands to obey, wisdom to walk by, but You give us the grace to obey. You give us what we need to walk in wisdom. We have Your Word. You gave us prayer. You give us grace to empower us. You give us Your Holy Spirit. You give us everything we need to walk in wisdom and obedience. So Lord Jesus, in this pursuit, in this path of wisdom, help us by Your grace to walk this path. Help us to prize wisdom. Help us to walk soberly. Help us to guard our hearts, Lord, because You are our goal. Because we prize You. Because You have given us new hearts, help us to protect what You have wrought in us. 
because you have already done all of these things. Give us, have mercy on us for where we utterly fail. Because we do. Lord Jesus, give us grace that we, like the wise, we would add to our learning. That we would grow. That this time next year, we would look back and we would not be the same person. But that we would be more like you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.